one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer I am joined by my fearless co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist and senior lit teacher extraordinaire. Ooh, I like the inflection I, there. I know. I <laughs> hey, know. I Laura, to... Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, so um, why don't you start off? You said you have a question from someone. I do. One of our friends emailed us, says, you know, hi, Laura and Kristen. I hope this email finds you both well. Uh, I have a question for you both. I have had a bone density test and it shows I have osteoporosis in my spine and osteopenia in my hips. I am happy to say that I know I am not my diagnosis. However, I didn't expect this as I am feeling stronger than ever from practicing lit. The only real symptom I have, if you want to call it that, is stiffness in my hips when rising to stand. If I sit on the floor for a while, I walk a bit like an old lady for the first few steps. She has little laughing emojis. No back pain since practicing lit and working on my anterior tilted pelvis. As you know, I have a strong lit practice practicing four to five times a week. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Well, I wrote her and I'll just share what I wrote because I, uh, we're around the same age. I'm 51 and a half and both in menopause. And this is a huge thing because... Osteopenia and osteoporosis. Um, osteopenia is the early stages where you can detect or the bone scan detects thinning of the bone. And then osteoporosis is when the bone actually starts to have a porous quality to it. So it's considered obviously less stable. 
And as she said, it's better not to be the diagnosis. I don't think rising from the floor has anything to do with her spine. I think that a lot of people, uh, when their hips have been in flexion for a while or, and, or just not moving, can feel stiff. So I think once we know a diagnosis, we might bring more awareness and think that whatever we might be experiencing can be attributed to that. But I would not attribute that to it. What I said to her is that hormones are super important. So when we go through different stages of our hormone cycles, it impacts many other things than just our sexual health and wellness, our reproductive ability. It also impacts our metabolism. It impacts bone density. So, and this is something I've really learned more about because of this, because of being in in, uh, menopause, that our different hormones, progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone, all contribute to our bone matrix, to the building of the bones. And when those are decreased or deplenished, we are more likely to be set up for osteopenia and osteoporosis. No matter what we're doing, those, so the building um, structures, the blast cells are very much informed by our hormones. So what I ask her is get a hormone test, get, get the information about that. What do you do about that really depends on your comfort. For me, I've been supplementing for the last two and a half years. So I have testosterone cream, I have an estrogen patch, and I have I take progesterone at night so that my, my numbers rose back up to a normal level. And I did that primarily because of the bone stuff. I was super, super scared about bone density because you can, again, I could be really fit. I can do all the stuff. But if I don't have the uh, metabolic processes in place to help bone from breaking down, I'm just going to be, you know, it'll be a two steps forward, three steps back. So I told her that's the first thing. And then work with like a naturopath, which she's going to, or work with an integrative doctor. So any women out there that are listening, and you don't have to be necessarily in menopause. It could be at other times. But I think getting your hormones checked, I actually just yesterday did a stronger, uh, I guess it's a more complete hormone analysis where I had to give up coffee for a day. I talked about that on Instagram. Like that was a big deal. <laughs> and it's called the Dutch test. And that is something, something, the U is for urine. So essentially you have to, um, it's about 10, 10 different things that you collect. It's five saliva and five urine samples. And then it's over this 12 hour period that you're awake. And that's why you can't have caffeine. They don't want anything to, probably they don't want your urine diluted at all. And that's what tends to happen with caffeine. And so that'll give me an even more in-depth profile of how my hormones are doing. Lots of people are confused about hormone replacement because hormone replacement has had a lot of controversy in the past. What I really recommend is get with an integrative doctor because hormone replacement is very safe if it's done with the right replacements. The replacements that caused such controversy were coming from a pregnant mare urine. It's called Primarin. And it was just, they were basically isolating estrogen and giving it in this massive dose. And estrogen works in collaboration with progesterone and testosterone. So it was 
as as often happens, there's a reductionist quality where they're like, oh, people's estrogen levels are down. We're just going to give them a big smack. And they're giving them estrogen from a pregnant mare. I mean, that's so weird anyway, mare being a horse. Um, so there's going to be so much extra estrogen because it's coming from another species while they're pregnant. So I would not be afraid of hormone replacement, but get get knowledgeable about it and think of it not just helping you in sexuality, like if you have other symptoms, which I didn't have, you know, like having a dry vaginal wall, et cetera, et cetera. But I was really, really concerned about the osteopenia because I am on the thinner side. If you're thinner, you have to worry about this more because if you do have more weight on you, that weight is actually serving you because you're, that you have mass, dense mass on your bones and that's putting more load on them thinner people do tend to have higher rates of osteopenia and osteoporosis. And this is the case with our friend as well. So that's that was my answer. I would say, keep doing what you're doing. You're only going to help yourself by continuing to be strong and balanced in your body, but you need those other support structures in place. Wow. What great information. I mean, that's why I told her, I want to talk about this on the podcast because you are not alone. I'm not dealing with it yet, but I know it's a matter of time. I have the same build as both you and she. We're all three on the thinner side. It runs in my family. Um, But what great information for so many people who are listening today to, you know, for women out there or for men whose, you know, wives are going through something like this. Get educated and, you know, follow what, what Laura's saying. It's the more you empower yourself, the more you continue, you know, she's she's strong in her practice. She's strong in all the w- ways, but we have no control over, well, we don't have, you know, regular control over our hormones and over aging and menopause. It's a part of life. But, you know, if you can be proactive about your body in a holistic manner, you're doing the right things physically. Let's do the right things with supplements, with, you know, additional therapies. What a great answer. Thank you so much for that. Thank you the question and thank you for the answer. Yeah. And I'll add one more thing to that. Before I was in menopause and I did all this hormone stuff, I really wasn't even taking supplements. I was really lazy about that, except for B12. But I also am taking many more supplements now too, because those different supplements also contribute to the bone health. And the last final thing I'll say is that my mom has osteopenia slash osteoporosis. And her doctor, like many, prescribed the, I forgot what the drug's called, and I obviously shouldn't say it anyway, but... Starts with an F. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fossa something. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So that is, a that is, that is, and I was really against it. And I knew intuitively, I was like, I was against it because I'd read not great things about it. But then I talked to my integrative doctor about it and she's like, that is terrible. Get her off of that. And here's why. So when she told me the why, then I knew why it made sense. And what it is, is this drug is, so when the bone, when you have osteopenia or there's any kind of breaking down of the bone, it becomes more brittle. And it's almost like, imagine like thin kind of beams as opposed to thicker ones. And so those beams are getting thinner and then they would get broken down and absorbed by the body. And so what what this drug does is it stops the absorption of the thinner bone breakdown. And so you register that your bone density hasn't changed, but in reality, what it's just doing is you're just holding these 
not good beams in place. That's all it's doing, as opposed to actually helping you restructure it. So it's kind of putting a Band-Aid on the issue. And and she said, in many ways, it's setting you up for, which they've shown in studies, have setting you up for actually getting fractures because you're, you, you haven't changed your bone density. You've actually just held on to these really crappy structures wow. that make you think that you actually aren't losing bone density, but you, you've just, um, you're holding on to the weak parts. So really get back to the, what you need, which is how to build that bone and the hormones are a huge part of that. Awesome. Okay. All right. So next question after that, this is coming from Una. Una asks, inside bridge modified side plank, I find my weight is mostly on the pinky side of my weight bearing hand. Why is this and how do I change it? Uh, yeah, I would love to see a picture of her setup, you know, you know what she's doing. I don't think that's uncommon because we are, you know, it's, you're, you're opening your chest. It's not like a quadruped where you're, you know, facing down weight coming directly through, you know, two weight bearing, weight bearing services, but you're, you know, you're opening up. I think people do that and think about half moon. People roll to the pinky side. It's kind of the way we're trying to balance weight on one side of the body against gravity. That's, you know, this lever arm of the body wanting to you know, pull you back down. So I don't think that's uncommon, but I would just, you know, I would really check your setup. You know, do you, you know, maybe you need to slide your bottom knee in a little bit closer to give you a tiny bit more stability, or maybe get, you know, make sure that wrist is right under your shoulder and see if you can't play around with it there if it's bothering you. Because, you know, if you're doing that over and over and over again, granted, it's not your entire body weight because a lot of it's going through your lower half. It's really just your upper half that's being supported. But if you were to translate that into then a full side plank, we might start to see issues arise. What do you think, Laura? I would agree. I would I would check in with the alignment if that mm-hmm. wrist is directly under the shoulder. And I would also check in with what the scapula is doing. Because what I find if the scapula is not kind of hooked back onto the ribs well, and it's it's sliding more into a protraction, that weight will roll toward that pinky side, as opposed to being able to evenly distribute where you do want it in that second finger root, which is coming right up through the radiocarpal joint of the wrist in a more even way. And that will tend to happen if the scapula isn't similar to what Kristen was saying, say you're just trying to, if you're focusing on your top arm and maybe overly opening the chest and that shoulder is just moving, the bottom shoulder just kind of moves, think more of the structure and less of like trying to open up a lot there and really click that scapula onto your back ribs. Drag your hand back energetically towards your knee to ensure that you have that stabilizing force at the scapula. And I bet that will change that weight-bearing quality through the hand as well. All right. Next question is from Malls-Ross. I would love a podcast dedicated to low lunge, classical version versus benefits of lit low lunge. Um, well, I'll start off with this. So in, in the lit low lunge, we really emphasize what, what's known in the developmental sequence as half kneel, which is a 90-90. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is the biggest one is to really organize, continue to organize the pelvis. So we come up from the ground where we're doing bridge, getting into quadruped, dolphin, and then we start our first sun salutation. 
at a slower pace because that's a continuation of getting the organization needed for the pelvis. Most people need this. Daily life gets us less organized because of the way we you know, sit a lot or don't tend to move in a lot of directions. And we get some imbalances in the way the muscle's pulling. And so when we reorganize the pelvis, we're setting ourselves up for better energy exchange, better balance around the bowl of the pelvis, and then therefore up through the spine, ribs, shoulder girdle, and even the head. And so, and in that, you can also really get your, the bat, say if you're in a left low lunge, your back leg, your right glute will be able to fire better because your pelvis is neutral. So you can get that activated hip extension. That is, and and then it's kind of like when you get organized, then you can get more creative. You know, it's always like getting more structure actually gives you more freedom. So then in the classical low lunge, like an anjaneyasana, starting off there is, is usually not a wise place for most people. Not that it's bad or harmful, but that it just leads to the more likelihood of not being as organized in the pelvis, sinking into your front hip without a lot of activation in that back glute, if any, putting maybe some strain into the low back because you tend to tip in the anterior tilt. Is anjaneyasana bad to do? No, it's not. Going forward more from a 90-90 is fine. For a lot of people, they have that openness but they need the organization first before they get into it. So I think the answer is doing both is absolutely fine, but you absolutely have to do the 90-90 first to really feel organized because a majority of people would not be able to stay organized if they just went into classical version. And they might not ever, you know, might not ever leave the low lunge and that's great. You're going to get tons of benefit from just staying there. You're not losing out on anything. And I would love to hear what you have to say about it. I could keep going, but yeah. No, I think you definitely highlighted on one key element of the traditional Anjaneyasana is how it is so in the front leg. And we're already super dominant in our quads as a society. It puts a lot of, just like that the, the really deep warriors do, it puts a lot into the thigh and takes a lot out of where we need it, which is when you get to that 90-90, you can energetically kick on that hamstring where we need it. You get, like you said, the glute, hallelujah, that's where we need it. We don't need more quad strengthening as a rule. And as a rule, most people aren't open enough in their hip to go into that low lunge without sinking into the low back, which is another thing we don't need more of is repetitive, especially in yoga. Yogis tend to be hypermobile. Not everybody, not, you know, but that's who's going to gravitate towards yoga? People who are flexible. They're bendy. It's easy. But you know what's not easy is half kneel for people who are hypermobile. It forces them to your point to organize, organize their energy. And they are, it's really fun to be a part of this process and watch people who are hypermobile, who go through our trainings and go through our yoga teacher trainings. And they're like, wow, I've never felt my body before because they have been sinking in. And that's the first place they do it. Well, it, it is a close second, maybe to the forward fold, but you know, where there's just this hanging occurring. 
so really, you know, where as as a you know, particularly a Western society where where we need strength, where we need attention, is in the back body, and the that half kneel is such a great way to work on those proximal stabilizers and the big movers back there, the, the glutes and the hamstrings. It taps into them in a way that the Anjaneyasana can't do. But to your point, when I'm teaching, like in my stretch class, when I'm teaching a hip flexor stretch, we start in 90-90, get organized there, and then we shift forward, maintaining the organization. So there's nothing wrong with doing that as long as you're organized. And some people don't shift forward. They they get the stretch without even shifting. So I agree with you. Yeah, I was going to say, and don't ever feel like you have to do it either. Even, you know, um, the other thing is I would just try it out for yourself. Like, do a half kneel, you know, 90-90, and then do an Anjaneyasana and feel your breath in each of them. And what I think you'll notice is your breath capacity is way different in 90-90 for the most part because you not only have organized the pelvis, but the ribs, which follow the pelvis, are more balanced so that you can get that more kind of 360-dimensional breath. When you When most people shift forward, they shift in their pelvis and then the rib cage pushes forward too. And like Kristen was saying, the back body becomes more closed off. So their breath inevitably becomes actually smaller, more contained and kind of almost stuck. So play around with that too. Notice how it impacts not just your pelvis, but above that, above that. And um, and the final thing I would say about it is the transition out of it. If you can go forward and feel like you're organized there and organized in getting out of it, then that's a good marker. A lot of people, again, when they go into that Anjaneyasana, they're sinking. It's pretty passive. They're sinking into the anterior hip capsule and other structures. And then getting out of it feels more like kind of like peeling yourself away from the floor as opposed to having that energy that just naturally transitions you. So it's really important for the pose, but also for the transitions. All right, let's talk about Alina87. Lacking strength, not flexibility to do standing splits. Any tips? Thank you. The strength to hold it, I wonder. What do you think that? I I think that's probably what she's talking about. So this is another example of classic, uh, kind of classical. If you've been used to doing these standing splits where you just crank that leg up, and your head goes down like towards your shin, that's really relying on flexibility and not too much strength. So the way we teach it with more of an L shape really puts the demand on that standing leg all the way up. And as Kristen was saying, a lot in that posterior chain, in your hamstrings, in your glute to maintain that on the standing leg, but also on the leg that's not weight-bearing. And so if you feel like you're lacking strength, then you just need to practice this more. Put blocks underneath you because you might feel like you actually have flexibility, but you might be getting the flexibility by just sinking your pelvis back and going into your knee and not actually having true flexibility up into the back fascial line. So I think putting blocks under there is basically lifting the floor up to you so that you can stabilize with more efficiency and more uh, symmetry. Any comments there? Yeah, no, I think that like you were talking about traditional where they're practically folded in half and other legs up is easier because it's a shorter lever arm on the hip. When you come into that L, 
you've dramatically increased the lever arm and it's, it's hard, it's work and it should be work. So I think if you're finding that you're having trouble there, another thing you can do, blocks are amazing. Also bend the top leg to shorten your lever arm. That will let you do it like that for all. So bottom leg may be bent too, but if you bend that top leg, you've taken the lever of the leg and you know cut it essentially in half, which will help you in the interim. Then once that gets easy, try straightening the leg. And then you once that gets easy, then maybe you come off the blocks. It's never easy though. I'll be the first person to say like, I get on my hands because that's easier. The people, right? The people I'm like, all right, we're going to go into standing split or standing L. You can get on your hands if you want to. It's like, bing, bing. Everybody's jumping up because it's hard work. Standing L is not easy. Standing split is a heck of a lot easier because there's the opening of the hip and the shorter lever arm. But man, standing L, I'll get on my hands any day of the week <laughs> to give my leg to give my leg a break. It's like a relief. And I would just say, if you're building strength, another thing to do is practice just bending and straightening the bottom leg. And I don't mean straighten fully. Um, Whatever you can straighten before you feel some shift in your pelvis. Because what you're going to do is kind of summon that ground reaction force. You bend, you push down into it, bend. and, And that'll really light up that leg to give you more strength there. And similarly, if you had your hands on blocks, float your fingers off the blocks and then lower and float because you're going to light up that posterior chain again. Those are some drills to do to really light up that leg and work on the the strength. And I think it's smart that you're asking this and really important that you practice it. As most people, you know, for the most part, uh, stability usually is going to be the primary focus before getting a ton of flexibility because so many people are, are are missing that aspect of it. All right. As always, this was so fun. So great. So great. So great to have you on here, Miss KB. So fun. Thank you so much, everyone, for your questions. Keep sending them in. We love this. Yes, this is like thank our you. favorite. Yeah, we love them. Send them to my Instagram, laura.hyman or Kristen's KB Williams 99. That's right. KB yep. Williams 99. Yep. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, we love you guys. Thanks for your questions. And as always, we are pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.